I invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. From Exodus chapter 20, Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourselves, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday morning gathering. My name is Paul, and I serve as the pastor of care and community here at First City Church. And before we get into the preaching of God's Word, I have one more uh, announcement for us. It's providing one of our quarterly financial updates. If you call First City Church home, you know we provide these updates from time to time to let you know how we're doing financially. If you're with us and you're not a Christian, if you're fairly new with our church, we do not want you to feel like we are coercing or making you feel guilty to, to give. We simply want those who call First City Church home to be aware of how we're doing financially. So, how are we doing? Through the end of October, we're actually doing pretty well. Uh, what we have received is nearly $14,000 beyond what w- was budgeted. Of course, expenses have been more than what was budgeted too. So overall, we're a, we're a few hundred dollars um, in the black, meaning we have more money, not less, than what we've spent. So we're anticipating a, a surplus at the end of the year, which will give us an opportunity to, to put away money for a permanent building, to give more money to church planting, and to to potentially help others in need. So that's where we're at financially. So as we transition into the preaching of God's Word, I want to share a Norman Rockwell painting with you and tell you, Happy Thanksgiving. I, I think this is actually the second Rockwell I have shared around Thanksgiving. Now, if you're not familiar with his work, his paintings tend to be fun and sentimental inviting reflection on realities that we have often encountered in American culture. So in this particular painting, there is a woman set to purchase her turkey for the big feast. And she is not buying her meat off of the shelf, but seeking out much better meat from a butcher. And if, you, if you've paid attention to the reading of God's Word, and you've been tracking our progress through the Ten Commandments, you know this morning we're considering the command, do not steal. And here we see both the the butcher and the woman, they're they're displaying a slight smile as each embraces a subtle form of stealing. He is trying to add weight to the scale. She is trying to lessen the load. The late professor and author Cecil, Cecil Myers referencing this painting in his book on the Ten Commandments says this, both the butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. The lovely lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. 
The butcher would be indignant if anyone accused him of stealing, and if a customer gave him a bad check, he would call the police. But neither saw anything wrong with a little deception that would make a few cents for the one or save a few cents for the other. You see, some may tend to think this command has little to exhort or encourage us with. To be honest, when Pastor Chris delegated this particular content to me, I was a little disappointed. He gets the content that's more scandalous and spectacular, and I get the stuff that's simple and straightforward that has little to offer you and I. But, but, but the reality is, in reducing stealing to activities like burglary, robbery, shoplifting, pickpocketing, purse snatching, obtaining prescription pain medication illegally, embezzling money, which are all forms of stealing, you and I may miss the broader biblical categories of theft. One statistic I came across, it actually said 90% of Christians believe that they have never violated this commandment. Rockwell is identifying that normal, everyday people, we can be thieves. So the title of the, the message this morning is Thieves No More. In giving this command, as is true of each of the Ten Commandments, God is setting his people apart where they may have been willing to steal in the past in living in obedience to him. They would be a people that would reject thievery as a way to accumulate possessions. Or like the woman in the painting, to steal to hold on to the wealth she did have. They would be satisfied with what they already had and with what God had provided for them. See, Scripture indicates there are a variety of contexts that stealing can take place. If you rent property, you can steal from your tenants. If you're a a student, you can plagiarize your papers. That's stealing. If you're an employer, you can steal from your workers. If you're a business owner, you can cheat your customers. There are many ways we can steal. So our big idea is God's people don't steal from anyone to be satisfied. As we explore this big idea, you guys are welcome to open up your Bibles to Exodus 20, verse 15, where you can closely examine those words, do not steal. But but the reality is we're going to be traveling throughout the pages of Scripture to better understand what it means to live in obedience to this commandment. You can look those passages up, but every one of them should be displayed on the screen behind me. In exploring this big idea, we're going to look at a number of anyone's people may be prone to steal from. Now, exploring these context, excuse me, exploring these contexts in some ways will make this sermon very practical, but it will also provide opportunity to reflect on bigger principles that could bring conviction or could bring comfort and consolation. So some of you, as you look at the broader culture, you grieve the way that many may justify stealing. Some of you are hurt at the ways you've been stolen from, and you should. Stealing is wrong. So let's look at the first anyone of who we might steal from. An employer. All of these are going to start with E, by the way. 
Many of you have been studying the book of Titus, and you may remember that chapter 2 says this. Slaves are, submit, are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing. There is much we could say about slaves as we consider this passage, but, but for the purpose of this sermon, we're considering how slaves are workers. And if any worker would be tempted to steal in the workplace, I think we understand why that would be true of a slave. They work in a context that is futile and frustrating. They're, the work they're doing profits primarily, maybe exclusively, the one they serve. We can understand as they work day in and day out, there would be temptation to become frustrated and bitter. There would be temptation to steal. None of you are slaves that I'm aware of, but the temptation to steal in the workplace, you may be able to identify with. We see the size of our employers' homes, the the trips they may take overseas, the length of their vacations compared to ours. We imagine the size of their financial portfolios. Is it fair how they profit off of our labor? And then we see coworkers who, who get away with stealing. There is temptation to become bitter, to believe my hard work is profiting others and I am being taken advantage of. Adopting such a mindset, it's easy to justify Clocking in early or clocking out late. Cheating on how much time we are paid for. Padding company expenses with personal purchases. Taking advantage of company time, maybe to shop on Cyber Monday. Or scroll successively through social media or play a variety of video games. Maybe mistreating the company car or company property or taking home precious tools. There are significant economic disparities that exist where the employer has far more possessions and personal property than the employee. The bigger principle this points to is there is a temptation to steal from those with more. Just because someone has a surplus, however, it does not provide rationale to steal. The rationale of justifying stealing from someone who has a surplus can extend to many other contexts, like stealing from a streaming service, stealing music or videos, stealing from a restaurant or department store. They have so much, we have so much less, they'll never even know. The Eighth Commandment and each reference to stealing in the Bible, it assumes a right of ownership. There are possessions and property that others possess that you are not entitled to use or treat however you believe to be appropriate. Private property should not be stolen or coerced or manipulated out of the hands of others. Even where economic disparities exist and someone else has a surplus and what you have is more scarce. God's people don't steal from people with more than us, people like an employer to be satisfied. Next, anyone. God's people do not steal from enemies. Okay, Jesus taught his disciples to love their enemies. It makes sense that we can't love our enemies and steal their stuff. But, but this way of relating to enemies, how God's people relate to one another, 
This way of relating to enemies, it's not, it's not just something that God's people are taught after the coming of Christ. Okay, listen to Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you must return it to him. If you see the donkey or someone who hates you lying helpless under its load and you want to refrain from helping it, you must help with it. Okay, the, the instruction here is not only don't take stuff from an enemy, it's to look out for your enemy's stuff. If you come across an enemy's stuff, functioning with a blind eye is a form of thievery. We are to ensure others don't lose their stuff to the point you go out of your way to help. Your enemy's probably not going to do that. But in walking in obedience to the Lord, you will. In being satisfied with what God has given us, there is a, there's a broad stewardship that God's people take on that extends far beyond our personal possessions. Okay, let me, let me give you a, a different example. This goes on a little bit of a tangent. When a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and, and, and is injured or dies while its owner is not there, the man must make full restitution. So it's getting out again. We care for the possessions of others. We care for the possessions of our neighbors that we are in poor standing with, and we care for the possessions of our neighbor that we are in good standing with. When we break our neighbor's stuff, we reimburse him or her. How we relate to the property and possessions of one another, it is this commandment, this, this is teaching us, it is far more complex then you take care of your property, and I'll take care of mine. In Exodus twenty-two fourteen, there is no intent here to defraud or to take advantage of someone. But when you're at someone's house, when you're borrowing something of theirs, and when you or your child breaks it, you should not expect the homeowner to absorb the cost of the damages. Having such an expectation is a form of stealing. You guys, this is my caveat to protect our, our people who host gospel communities. When you are at the home of someone hosting a gospel community, you should be responsible to cover the costs of something you or your child breaks. That's part of the way God's people relate to one another. We recognize the cost of what is damaged, how it hurts the owner, and we seek to reimburse. I know this can be tough. Several years ago, Michelle and I, I think it was mostly me, uh, we, we, would, we, we broke so many things that we borrowed from Jake and Renee White that, that Jake and Renee would, would come to us and say jokingly, hey, what else do you want to borrow? We need some new stuff. There's a, there's a familial and a missional component to how we relate to one another's things. See, God's people, we not only care about personal property and possessions, we, we care about the property and possessions of people we are in community with. And more, more than care about the property and possessions of, of people who are, who are even no use to us, we care about the property and possessions of people who may cause us hurt and harm. Who does that? When that happens. Our neighborhoods are better. Our schools are better. The centers of our city flourish. Our church community is better. We don't turn a blind eye to what was lost or, or broken. God's people don't steal 
from others, including enemies, to be satisfied. So third group of anyone's, God's people don't steal from the empty-handed. One of the the things God's people are commanded to do is to be generous with the poor. There were things built into generational calendars, like something called the Year of Jubilee, where every 50 years, people who had experienced economic challenges resulting in debt and loss, they would be given land back that prior ancestors had possessed. So, So to address economic disparities, there were allowances made for people who were poor to be able to eat. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 26.12 When you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. See, there is a a disposition of generosity towards the poor communicated throughout the pages of Scripture. God's people will care for those in need. Single moms, children in foster care, orphans, immigrants, not being generous with those in need, it is considered a form of stealing. Listen to to the words of one of the church fathers, Chrysostom. This also is theft, not to share one's possessions. Perhaps this statement seems surprising to you, but do not be surprised. I, I beg you, remember this without fail, that not to share your own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our wealth, but theirs. In being satisfied with what God has given us, we will share with people who have less. Now, to be clear, we, we consider how best to provide for those who may have less. Being unwise perhaps providing simple handouts, there are ways we can actually contribute to greater poverty in our community. So in considering what it means to not steal from the empty-handed, I'm not advocating that you all hand out money and physical goods. But, But too many of us, we aren't generous, not because we are seeking to be wise, but because we are seeking to be stingy. As people who care for the widow and the orphan. As people who are pro-life, as Steve talked about earlier, we may not have first-hand involvement in foster care or adoption, things Eric prayed about earlier, but we care for and support people who do. We think through how to bless people in need. In that vein, at First City Church, we form partnerships with organizations who are doing really good work in our city and abroad. We we provide strategic opportunities during the year to come alongside organizations like Christian Heritage as they care for children in foster care and children who have been adopted, or alongside organizations like Humble and Kind and Heartland Hope Mission and Bellevue Together, organizations seeking to build relationships centered on the gospel. 
See, because God cares about the poor, we care about the poor. God's people do not steal from the empty-handed to be satisfied. And being satisfied, we share what we have. Next, we do not steal from an earthly king. You guys probably knew it was coming. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't, don't lie to the Department of Motor Vehicles about what you paid for a car. Okay, some of you, as you reflected on how you relate to the state and, and federal governments, you probably thought that was covered in the category of enemies. You know, many of you... <laughs> Many of you think how the, the federal government and state government and local government, how they tax people and how they spend money, you, you think that could very much be classified as stealing. The buildup of the national deficit, that's actually a way the government steals from you. You should care about such issues when you vote at the ballot box. But regardless, one person stealing from you or one entity stealing from you, it doesn't justify you stealing from another. God's people take the words of Christ seriously. Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the the things that are God's. We pay our earthly king, government entities, what they are legally entitled to. Now, I recognize our our federal government is part of the problem here and how they approach debt and economic disparity, creating a culture where borrowers of loans are entitled to debt forgiveness, providing government funds during the pandemic to each and every person, regardless of need. But but doing doing something like receiving a student loan and not intending to repay it, that's a problem. If there are debts you have that you do not intend to repay, that is a form of stealing. The bigger principle this points to, if you borrow money or possessions, you should intend to give it back. Not paying back a loan, not paying back a credit card, leaving someone you borrowed from in a lurch, all are biblical forms of stealing. I admire people, some of, some of you who are in this room, who have lost much. And rather than do something like file bankruptcy, you live with less to be able to pay back all the debts you owe, including what you owe in student loans. Now, after after discussing how God's people do not steal from an earthly king or earthly enemies, I, I do think it's important to provide a little bit of a clarification here. See, some some will say the opposite of stealing is being generous. I kind of have problems with that language because it, it may imply the lovely lady purchasing the turkey should pay more than what the turkey is worth. Or you should give your earthly king more taxes than what you owe. I want to be clear. I do not think you should feel obligated to give the government one more cent than what you legally owe. So I want to say the opposite of stealing is being satisfied with what you have. The opposite of stealing is not stealing. Now, will being satisfied play out in generosity? You bet it will. But but not stealing does not mean you allow others to take advantage of you or that you embrace being a doormat so others can take your stuff. 
In fact, rather than being taken advantage of, the Bible describes how a wise person is marked by something called shrewdness. Learn to be shrewd. You who are inexperienced, develop common sense. You who are foolish. For wisdom is better than jewels, and nothing desirable can equal it. I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. See, many consider shrewdness a negative characteristic. Being shrewd is not stealing. Lying and manipulation are. So earlier I said, don't lie to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and absolutely. But you can leverage the rules in your favor. That's being shrewd. So about 10 years ago, there was a guy who wanted to give me a car. When you give someone a car, the taxes you pay are determined based on the economic value of that car. So say that car is worth $10,000, you pay, the taxes you pay are a percentage of that $5,000 amount. This guy knew that. He wanted to decrease my economic burden, so rather than give me the car, he sold it to me for $1. That way, I would pay taxes on a $1 sale rather than a car valued at $5,000. I gave him the $1, so we weren't lying or being deceptive. That's being shrewd. Being shrewd points to a principle that we should not squander our possessions or wealth. That could very much, not being shrewd, could very much be a form of stealing from our own households. So in being shrewd, we are thoughtful and strategic in how we engage in activities like purchasing cars, how much money we spend on junk food and entertainment, how we use credit cards. We don't look to invest in the lottery for a retirement plan. When someone is taking advantage of us financially, maybe a crummy landlord or a former loved one, we push back. Being wise, you should be shrewd in how you conduct your business and in how you relate to others. But we don't lie, we don't cheat. God's people do not steal from anyone to be satisfied, but we may be shrewd. Last category, we do not steal from our eternal king. Malachi 3.8 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. So earlier we, we reflect on how Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We talked about how there is a, a disposition of generosity towards the poor communicated throughout the pages of Scripture. There is also a disposition that God's people are to have where they give financially and materially to God through the church. Here's Deuteronomy 26. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it, take some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. When you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land of the Lord, swore to our ancestors to give us. 
Then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. So, so this principle that God lays out in Scripture, how we give to God, how we give to the church, we give something called first fruits. It means we don't give out of our leftovers. We don't give when we feel comfortable and we have paid all our bills. God's people were committed to giving to the Lord, not their leftovers, but their first fruits. Now, this principle of the biblical tithe, being bound to give 10%, we could quibble whether that carries over to the New Testament. But the principle of sacrificial giving certainly does carry over. We don't give to the church only when we have something left over. We give to the Lord before we pay our bills, before we buy our groceries, before we pay for our streaming service and our, our vehicles, and before we settle our tab at the bar. Not doing so is a form of stealing. Giving to the Lord through the church, it's how a church pays its pastors, pays the rent, supports church planning, and equips the members of its church to care for one another. Now, some of you may be thinking, talking about how people steal from God, especially, Pastor Paul, on a Sunday you provided a financial update, not intentional, by the way. This, this is how our, our pastors, this is their get-rich-quick scheme, right? I can assure you it is not. There is this reality that Scripture lays out. You aren't just tempted to steal from an employer or an enemy or an earthly king or the empty-handed. You are very much tempted to steal from God and His church. See, some of you are committed to purchasing things for your family like youth activities, but you refuse to give to the Lord. The, the principle of Scripture is you don't give to God when it's safe to give to God. You give sacrificially. You surrender when it's scary. You don't give from the surplus. This temptation to steal from God, not being satisfied with what we have, it goes all the way back to the beginning. In the book of Genesis, God provided many delicious and bountiful trees that Adam and Eve could eat from. But there was one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That tree belonged exclusively to God. God said, don't eat fruit from that tree. Eating that fruit would be taking something that does not belong to you. Adam and Eve had a, had a garden full of yeses and one no. They had rich relationship with one another and rich relationship with God, yet it wasn't enough. They needed more to be satisfied, so they stole from God. The sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve have stolen in various ways ever since. As we've been talking, we steal from employers, we steal from enemies, we steal from one another, we steal from our earthly and eternal kings, and we steal from the empty-handed. And it is not okay, and it is not good, and it is not right. I want to speak to the non-Christian for a moment. I think, I think as a non-Christian, you can come to the conclusion that a culture where people do not steal is a good thing. You may think the Bible is holding up something good here, question is, how do you arrive at that conclusion? Is it, is it something that just feels wrong? Is it, a, is it a product of evolutionary development? Plenty of cultures, they actually don't believe in the inherent dignity of worth and worth of others. 
And so they justify taking from the weak to make the strong more powerful. So apart from an objective moral code, there really is no reason to respect the personal property of others. Now, you don't necessarily need to be a Christian not to steal. Lots of non-Christians, because of something called common grace, an understanding that God gives everyone to differentiate between right and wrong, though marred by sin, know that stealing is wrong. People who trust in good behavior know stealing is wrong. But, but there is a question that all need to ponder. What ultimately brings someone satisfaction? Is satisfaction found in personal possessions, possessions that will not rot and decay? Is satisfaction intended to be found in obeying this command perfectly? Or is satisfaction found in something much greater? Moses, in giving the Ten Commandments, was teaching people how to rightly relate to one another's possessions. But Jesus takes this further in his ministry helping us rightly relate to the goods and property, not only of others, but also the ones we possess. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The possession that has ultimate value and worth. What brings ultimate satisfaction is not your home. It's not the size of your bank account. It's not how big your business is or how many homes you own. God's people are ultimately satisfied in Christ. He is the possession that matters. God's people don't need to steal from anyone to be satisfied because we are satisfied in Christ. See, in Christ, you have, a, you have a Savior who everything was stolen from. His material possessions, his clothes, his dignity, even his innocence. He was stolen from so you and I could be rich and we could be satisfied. Here's the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So when we have believed we have been given much in Christ, we are not stingy. We don't adopt a mindset of scarcity, that to be satisfied we need to cling to all that we have, and we need to get and grasp for more. Instead, we, we embrace a disposition of abundance. When you are satisfied, there is no reason to steal from others. There is much reason to care for others, including the empty-handed and even your enemy. When you are satisfied, you are excited to be generous with others. We have been given so much, and out of that abundance, we are excited to give. Not out of our leftovers, but out of our first fruits. See, in Christ... You and I, we have more than what Adam and Eve had. 
You have more than a garden full of yeses. You have abundant life, an everlasting life. That life will be rich in the new heavens and new earth, and that life is rich today. Praise be to God, because Christ had everything stolen from him. Thieves like you and I, we have been made rich. We are thieves no more. We are wealthy. We don't steal to be satisfied. We already are. Let's pray.